Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Starting the book of James today, and... Um, the book of James is a pretty powerful book, right? If you've spent any length of time reading the Bible, you know how powerful the book of James can be. In fact, a lot of commentators would say that it is one of the most practical books in the Bible. It's an easy book for us to understand. But what I would add is that while it's very practical and easy for us to understand, it's very difficult for us to live out, right? It's difficult for us to apply in our lives. There are a lot of things that we're going to be talking over the next several weeks about that seem elementary, but are very hard to live out. For example, taming the tongue. We all get it. We need to control our tongue. We get that idea. We get that concept. It's hard to live out. Today, we're going to be talking about trials. We know the trials, we're all going to hit them. We know the trials are tough. How we're supposed to act and be in those trials is hard for us to live out. There is a lot of things that James is going to challenge us with. And, and, and here's my goal, my desire, and my prayer for us is, whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus, my hope and my prayer is that you wouldn't just hear what's taught on a Sunday and then you would just leave My hope and my prayer is that you would go home and open this up with your group, by yourself, with your family. You would open it up and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in you. You would ask the Holy Spirit, how am I supposed to grow? What am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to do with this passage? But today I want to start off by just introducing James to you. And then we're going to talk about uh, trials here in just a minute. But the way I want to just introduce James to you is by letting you into my world for just a little bit. Uh, I am the older brother of just one sister. So very small family, party of four, you know, I had a mom and dad. I was the oldest one. And then we had my sister. And uh, life was pretty great until my sister came along, you know, like I'm just being honest, you know. Uh, but, but, you know, we have a great relationship. Everything's great now. But, but you know, like at being the older brother, uh, for me, I was a trailblazer. I had to blaze the trail in a lot of areas. I was the first one to go to school. My sister and I were both homeschooled, but I was the first one to go to school. My sister was still homeschooled, but I was going to school. I don't know. Maybe I needed to be socialized. I don't know why my parents sent me first, but I was the first one to go to school. I was the first one to get involved in school sports, to get involved in sports. I was the first one to experience driving with my parents. So they got to work out all the, the problems and the yelling on me, and so my sister got the better experience, right? So I was, I, I, being the older one, I am the trailblazer. And so for my sister, when she would come along, oftentimes, especially in school, it would be, oh, you're Nate's brother. Oh, you're related to Nate. Oh, I know you. You're Nate's, you know, sister. Uh, Even with my boys, I see the same thing. Uh, We go to school, we go to Brody's school, and they're like, oh, you're Brody's parents. Yep, that's us. (laughs) You know, we we get there and they're like, oh, that's that's Asher and Dawson. You must be Brody's uh, little brothers. Oh, we can't wait to have you guys in class. And I look at him and I go, you don't know Dawson well enough, you know? <laughs> he's a wild child. You can wait a little while, trust me. You know, he's a great kid, but just a little wild. And so, you know, like, so, so we have that. These, so these two boys of mine, Asher and Dawson, are always living in their brother's shadow. My sister was always living in my shadow. Now you might be thinking, well, what does any of this have to do with James? Why are we talking about this? Because James grew up and lived in an environment where he also lived under someone's shadow. Because his brother was Jesus. Yeah, his brother was Jesus. Jesus had half-brothers and had sisters. You may not know this, but uh, that's what he had. He had half-brothers, half-sisters. Same mom, different dad, you get it. You know, it's a little, 
a little complicated, all right? So, but, but he had half-brothers. He had half-sisters. And, and James was one of those half-brothers. James didn't always believe in Jesus, and we'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. But later he came to know Jesus, and he wrote the book of James. Nobody knew more about Jesus than James did. I mean, think about it for just a second. James knows stuff about Jesus that we don't know. There's portions of Jesus's life we just have no clue about. From when Jesus was zero to 12, from when he was 12 to 30, there's just things about Jesus's life that we just don't know. But I know James knows. James was there. James ate a lot of meals with Jesus. Back then, homes were just like one giant room. And so James was probably listening in as middle school Jesus was praying, you know? He's probably listening in. What is he saying? James grew up and he saw things that no one else saw. And I was thinking about it and I was like, man, think about the pressure for just a minute that James had being Jesus's brother, right? He's always probably being compared to Jesus. James, why can't you be more like Jesus? Maybe the parents even like, James, why can't you be more like Jesus, you know? I even was listening to a comedian this week, and he goes, you all know the story of Jesus turning water into wine. He's like, but what they don't tell you is the next party where James was at. And they ran out of wine, and they looked at James. What you going to do, James? Just going to stand there in your sandals? I mean, make us some Kool-Aid. Don't you know your brother turned water into wine? What are you going to do, right? I think there's a lot of pressure for James. Jesus, who was the perfect sibling, was not just the half-brother of Jesus, He was literally God who became a man, and Jesus was the only hope for salvation. And this was very tough for for the family to wrap their minds around. It even tells us in Mark that as Jesus is starting his early ministry, in Mark chapter 3, as Jesus is starting his ministry, uh, he's healing, he's teaching, all these miracles are happening. The family looks at him and they're like, Jesus is crazy. That boy's lost his mind. John tells us later on, it says that uh, towards the end of Jesus's ministry, that it says that not even his brothers believed in him, but that all changed after Jesus's death and resurrection. See, after Jesus rose from the dead, we're told that he appeared to all of his uh, disciples, that he was appearing to them and and he appeared to uh, some some like 500 other people. And then uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus even appeared to his brother, James. This brother who'd grown up with Jesus, who'd been compared to Jesus, who thought Jesus was crazy, watched Jesus' whole public ministry and wanted nothing to do, never believed in Jesus. Jesus goes to his brother, and James sees the resurrected Jesus. And James surrenders his life and follows Jesus as God. See, what's interesting to me about all of this is knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus aren't the same thing. See, James knew some stuff about Jesus. He could tell some stories. He knows some things about Jesus, but he didn't really know Jesus. He didn't surrender his life to Jesus. And the reality is there are some of us here today. We know Jesus. We could share some stories, quote some Bible verses. We probably know some parables. But do we really know Jesus? Have we surrendered our hearts and our lives over to him? My hope and my prayer is, that if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, that you would, in this series, get to really know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Now, how do we know Jesus, or how James surrendered his life to Jesus? 
Well, in the very first verses, it says that James is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could tell something has happened in James's heart because let's be honest, if you and I were writing the intro to this letter, it might sound a little different, you know? I think if it were me, I'd be like, hey, I'm James, you know, the half-brother of a guy named Jesus. Ever heard of him, you know? Hey, I'm, I'm James from the same womb as Jesus, you know? Like, that's, that's how I might introduce it, but James is very humble. He's just like, hey, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so James is writing to Christians and trying to teach them how to live like God's people. And one of the ways that he's teaching us how to live like God's people, what we're going to focus in on today is how to have a proper perspective and how to endure trials. In fact, the title of today's message is Standing Firm in the Midst of Trials. So if you have a Bible today, you can turn to James chapter 1, Verses will be on the screen if you don't, or you have the smartphone, you can follow along there. But James chapter 1, we're going to look at the first four verses. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. To me, these are some of the most applicable verses for us in the entire Bible. Again, easy to understand, difficult for us to live out. And so out of these four verses, I see three truths that we could apply to our lives to help us stand firm in the midst of trials. And the first one is this, that trials are inevitable. Trials are inevitable. Look again at what it says in verse 2. It says, count it all joy, my brothers. What's that next word? When. doesn't say if. When you meet trials of various kinds. The word meet can be translated to fall in the middle of. It means out of nowhere. You didn't see it coming. Your translation might even read, count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into different trials, various trials. Basically, James is like, hey, listen, there are things that are going to happen in your life that are going to be outside of your control. They're going to catch you off guard. They're going to be tough. And these things that you're going to face in your life are called trials. Trials are inevitable. I've heard it said that you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or going into a trial. Now, I want us to do a little exercise real quick to make a point. It's going to be a little awkward at first, all right? But it's okay. You'll survive. First service, survive just fine. I want you to look to the person on your right, on your left. Look to the person behind you. Look at the person in front of you. Maybe wave to somebody. Have a real human interaction with them, right? Let them know you're there. You're alive. You're good to be here, you know? Hey, you guys did way better than the first service. The first service was looking down. I was like, there's nobody down there. Like, (laughs) here's, here's the point. It's you, if, if what I said is true, that you're either in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're going into a trial, what happened right there is you looked at some people who are going through some of the deepest, darkest moments of their life. They are in a trial right now. And I understand, we all come to church, we put on our happy face, right? We put our church face on. How you doing? Ah, blessed and highly favored. The whole way here, you're screaming and yelling at each other, and you pull in the party line, you're like, oh, you know, like, how does that work? I don't know. So I get it. We all come to church with our, our church face on, like everything is good, but the reality is some of you are not good. 
You're going through the deepest, darkest, hardest moments in your life right now. And there's others of you, as you looked at them, you looked at people who are coming out of a trial. You have the scars and the wounds and the growth to show that you've been in that trial. For others of you, you looked at people and they are just good. Everything is fine. Things are going fine in life, but the reality is we don't know what tomorrow holds. See, trials are inevitable. We all will face trials. And I want you to hear me very carefully. Because if you think that you love Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you're immune to the difficulties, to the trials, to the hardships of life. You are deceiving yourself. You are not immune to those things. See, I understand that it's a popular philosophy here in America for some pastors to get up and try to sell books or to get on TV and say, if you just believe in Jesus, like that's how sometimes they talk, right? You just believe in Jesus. All your problems, you're not going to have any problems. All your troubles are going to go away. All you need is just a little bit of Jesus and you'll have more money in your bank account, more cars in your driveway. All those problems will go away. I'm telling you, that is not the story of this book. James says, when, not if, when you meet trials. This book is a collection of stories of people who went through some very difficult, troubling trials in their own lives. I mean, think about some of those people in the Bible. Moses, Noah, you got Daniel. What do we know him for? The lion's den, right? Why, do you, why was he thrown in there? Praying. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fiery furnace. You think you're having a bad day? Read Job. You read that and you go, man, that guy had it tougher than I did. Not to diminish problems or trials, but it's pretty rough for him. And get to the Psalms. Often the psalmists are people just crying out in their deep, dark pit, their, their valley, in their moment of despair saying, God, would you help me right now? God, I don't like this. I don't like what I'm going through right now. In the midst of their suffering, they're just crying out to God. And then you get to the New Testament. And the Bible says that Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. How, how does that measure up with the health and wealth prosperity gospel? You can have it all, but Jesus didn't have a pillow? It doesn't make sense. Jesus was persecuted, suffered, died a cruel death on the cross. All the original disciples, they were murdered for believing in Jesus. Look at Paul. He was shipwrecked on an island, beaten multiple times. He was in prison. Most of the letters that we have from Paul were written in a jail cell. And this wasn't, hey, you got three hots and a cot. Like, this is a nice, you got the TV and all of that. No, this was hard stuff that he was facing. And he's writing letters to churches. And then you got James, the author of this book. And he faced such hostility from the political and religious leaders of the day that he was persecuted almost his entire ministry. And historians tell us that the way that James died was because of the anger of these political and religious leaders. They just took James to the top of the temple and they just threw him off. And to make sure that they finished the job, they took these wooden clubs and they beat him to death. No wonder why James said, when, not if, when you meet trials. But then look at how he describes these trials. He says, when you meet trials of various kinds. Various is a Greek word that means multicolored or multifaceted. 
This word would describe kind of like a prism. When you hold it up to a sun, you would see a wide uh, vary of colors that would come out of that prism. Here's the idea that James is trying to get at. Trials come in all shapes, sizes, and forms. See, some of you, you've walked in this building today and you were doing just fine, going along life. And you have fallen into some sort of trial. Reminds me of my kids in, in the park. I remember I was running with them in the park once and they, you know, we, we, the park looks flat. Everything looks smooth. Everything looks good. But they found the one hole in the park and they fell flat on their face. A lot of us, that's how it is. Running through life, everything seems fine. But we've fallen into a trial. Maybe for you, your trial looks like the loss of a job. Everything was going just fine and then out of nowhere, you lost your job. Maybe for you, your trial looks like a health diagnosis. You went in just for a routine checkup, but you came out with so much more than what you were expecting. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's relationships. Your kids, your spouse. Everything was going on just fine. And then a bomb was dropped, and you find yourself in the middle of a trial. Trials come in all shapes, sizes, and forms. And the pain and suffering we get from these trials are uncomfortable. They don't feel good. That's why today, if we had a table set up out, out in the lobby and we're like, hey, everybody, we've got a new ministry starting called Trials. You're going to get a lot of pain and suffering. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. Sign up today. A lot of you are just going to be like, I'm not signing up for this. You're not making eye contact with the table. You're just going to keep walking right past it. We didn't wake up this morning and go, Lord, you know what I haven't had in a long time? A good old-fashioned trial full of pain and suffering. I could really use one right about now. We don't do that. Why? Because they're uncomfortable. So James tells us that we're going to fall. We're going to meet trials. He says they're going to be various. They're going to come in all shapes and sizes. But then look at what he says, we're, how we're supposed to act in those trials. Verse 2, he says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. That phrase seems a little odd, right? Like if you're going through a trial and your friend came up to you and said, hey, count it all joy, you're going to be like, I'm going to show you how to count some things that are all joy, right? <laughs> you're like, you're going to have a trial of your own with my fist, you know? Like, we're both going to be in a trial. So this seems a little out of place. It seems odd. We're to count it all joy? What does that mean? How are we supposed to, what, what does that even look like? Well, that phrase means to lead out in the mind. See, what James is teaching us is that we can make a choice in our mind that I'm not going to let this overwhelm me. I'm not going to let this weigh me down. I'm going to choose joy instead of sorrow. I'm going to choose joy instead of pity or complaining or questioning. Our first response when a trial hits our lives is to choose joy. It's interesting to note, though, that James does not say that believers should be joyful for the trials. They should be joyful in the trials. Count it all joy. James is telling us that in the midst of our trials, we can make a deliberate decision to experience joy in our trials. Again, easy to understand, especially if it's somebody else. Why can't they count it all joy? But it's hard for us to live out. And you might be thinking, well, is it even possible for me to experience joy in my trial? I think it is. I'm reminded of the story in the Bible in Acts with Paul and Silas. 
Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel, leading people to the Lord. And what ends up happening? They get thrown into prison. Doesn't sound really joyful. If I were to land in prison, I don't think I would count it all joy. They did, and it says at about midnight, they started worshiping God. In the midst of their trial, they chose to worship. They chose joy. There are lessons that can only be learned through times of trial. See, James isn't saying that trials are joyful because they're not. James isn't telling us, hey, put a smile on your face. You know, fake it till you make it. You'll be okay. What James is ultimately getting at is that we as believers who are walking with Jesus in the midst of difficult circumstances can make a decision to choose joy because there are lessons that can only be learned in times of trial. We can only learn those in those moments. And so what are those lessons? Well, that's our second thought, and that is that trials have purpose. Trials have a purpose. James is encouraging us, embrace trials, count them all joy, not for what they are, but for what God can do in them. And look at what he says in verse three. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. See, James is saying that the testing that you're going through right now is growing you. God is growing you in your trial. He's taking the bad that is happening in your life and he's gonna work it out for good. Isn't that what Romans 8, 28 says? Paul says it this way, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Sometimes you're gonna face things that don't feel good. Circumstances are gonna be tough. They're gonna be challenging. And here's what happens. We can in our flesh say, well, because this doesn't feel good, that means that God is not good. And if we believe that above all else, that God wants us happy, then that leads us down a road of misbeliefs. If you believe that God's supreme goal for your life is to your happiness, then whatever makes you happy must be good and whatever makes you unhappy must be bad. The problem with that is that we start believing that Sheryl Crow song that says, if it makes you happy, then it can't be that bad. We shouldn't live our lives by Sheryl Crow songs, right? If we believe that God wants us happy above all else, if we start to believe that discomfort, suffering, trials, well, that can't possibly be God's will for my life. We could say it this way. If something isn't going right, then it must mean that God isn't working in my life. See, when you believe that above all else, God wants you happy, suddenly you believe that God is there just to serve you. God isn't worried about your happiness. And don't get me wrong. The Bible says that he's a good father, gives good gifts to his kids. He loves you. Make no doubt about that. He isn't so worried about your happiness. He's more concerned about your holiness. And here's what I found out about the enemy. We think when things go bad, that's the devil, right? That's why we say, not today, Satan, right? But listen, when did Satan ever offer anybody an easy road? Go all the way back to Genesis. When Satan comes to tempt Adam and Eve, did he come up to them and say, hey guys, I got this really great idea. It's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be tough, but I think you're gonna like it. No, he said, I'm I'm gonna give you this. You're gonna love this. It's gonna be easy. It's gonna go great. When Satan tempted Jesus, he said, Jesus, you can have all of this. Just bow down and worship me right now. See, the enemy offers easy and instant 
He offers pain or he offers gain without the pain. But if it's from God, it's probably not going to be easy. I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to die for our sins. And he's praying and over and over and over again. He's like, God, would you remove this cup from me? And it tells us that he's sweating drops of blood. Just the pain and the agony. He's anxious about this whole thing. And I think if there was ever a prayer that God would answer, it would be for his one and only son. But he didn't answer that prayer. And Jesus sees Judas and the the people coming to take him, and he's like, all right, here we go. God's will was so hard, it was so heavy, it was actually too much for Jesus to handle on his own. But God was with him. And his perfect will was complete on that cross through the crushing and through the pain because he perfects us through pain and through trials. Listen, our, our, our pain can either be a jail that imprisons us or a school that empowers us. See, the difference is often our perspective. Will we let the trial crush us? Or will we, in the midst of our trial, do what James tells us to do and count it all joy? Because we know that God is going to use it to make us whole again. Ultimately, here's what James is getting at. He's like, hey, listen, when you hit these circumstances, trials are going to be inevitable. And you can say, God, this doesn't feel good. I don't like going through all this, but God, I know you are good. Your word says it, Romans 8, 28. Because you are good, I know there's going to come a moment in my life when I will look back on all of this and I will see the goodness of God displayed in my life. See, whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, whatever God has allowed in your life, the enemy isn't doing it to you. God is allowing this for you, for your good, for your growth, and for his glory. He's growing you right now because he loves you. Now, why is he growing us? Well, verse 4 tells us. It says, and let steadfastness, that word again, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the vision. That's the goal. That's God's plan and purpose in our trials. And that's our last thought for today, and that is trials perfect us. See, we could count it all joy when we meet trials because God isn't necessarily preventing problems. He's perfecting us in them. In fact, that word steadfastness here, it can mean staying power. So every time you walk through a trial and you choose joy, guess what? The next one gets easier, but it doesn't mean that it feels any better. It doesn't mean it's not tough. It means you begin to see God's goodness in your trials. You get to see God's love. You see that God is in the midst of the trials that you're going through. You have a different perspective the next time the trial comes. Because you have staying power. You have steadfastness. See, oftentimes we want God to prevent our problems, but God is more interested in perfecting us as people. In fact, I don't know how many of you, you've ever watched the show, uh, Caesar Milan, The Dog Whisperer. Anybody ever watch that show? Yeah, a few of you. Okay, that's good. That's right. That's the noise. That's, so a few of you have, so we'll, this will be great. All right, so um, you'll get it because you're making the noise already. So that's, that's fantastic. So this will, you'll be like, whoo, you know. But no, Caesar Milan, he, he's a guy, he's known as the dog whisperer. He trains dogs. And so what, what people do often is they bring their dogs to him and they're like, hey, my dog is a problem. Will you just fix my dog for me? 
And so these dogs will come in with chronic barking. They'll, they'll come in biting. They'll come in not eating. They'll chase, you know, bikes down the road. They're terrible on walks. They, you know, they're, they're constantly biting or nipping or doing whatever. And they bring their dogs to him and they're like, hey, just fix my dog, would you? And, he, and what ends up happening is he doesn't really fix the dog. What he does is he works on the person. He works on the owner. In fact, in the older episodes, uh, he says this, no dog is too much for me to handle. I rehabilitate dogs. I train people. Now, I've watched the show over and over and over again. My kids are really into it now, too. And people are constantly bringing their problem dog to Caesar. And Caesar, what he ends up doing is he shows them, hey, you're actually the problem. You're the reason why this dog is acting out and why it's doing the things that it's doing. He, does, he doesn't train the dog. He trains the human. He doesn't fix the problem. He fixes the person. Caesar Milan may be the dog whisperer. And I thought this week, you know what? God is the human whisperer. God doesn't fix all of our problems. He fixes us as people. God would say, hey, no problem is too big for me. I can handle your problems. I hold the whole world in the palm of my hand. But what he really wants is to heal his people, to make his people whole again, healthy again, holy again. Trials have not been allowed in your life by God to take something from you. Trials have been allowed to give you something. That's why James closes with that phrase, lacking in nothing. And I believe James ends this verse with those words, on purpose. I believe it's by mistake, and here's why. Because James is a Jewish man. So he understood the culture very, very well. And for a Jewish person, that phrase, those words were loaded with meaning. For a Jewish person, this idea of lacking something was very important. Because for the history of the Jews, they felt like they did lack something. There were times where they felt like they lacked a land to call their own. They lacked a temple to worship in. They lacked an identity. These were really hard times for the Jewish people. These were times of great trial. And so this idea of not lacking anything for the Jewish person might have felt like a promised land. Because this meant who they were finally supposed to be. They were finally to be whole again. And this week as I was studying and reading that verse and looking over that, I was like, where have I seen this before? Where have I seen a phrase very similar to this? And it reminded me of uh, Psalm 23. It said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. See, I think James would have been very familiar with that psalm. Again, Jewish man. He would have known. Also lived with Jesus, you know. And so I think he knew that psalm very, very well. And I wonder if for him, this didn't kind of become the framework for what he's trying to say in these first four verses. I wonder if he's just seeing all these Christians dispersed and scattered and doing all these different things, going through their trials and their troubles and their tribulations. And I wonder if he thought about that verse and he said, listen, I know that sometimes our trials can feel like valleys, can feel like the shadow of death, but be comforted, take heart, be encouraged because God is with us, comforting us and guiding us. See, trials are inevitable, but they're not without purpose. Jesus said, here's the promise, in this world, you will have troubles, you will have trials. But he continues that promise and he says, but take heart, don't fear, because I've overcome the world. There's hope in the midst of our trials. There's a beautiful light at the end of the tunnel. So we keep going and we keep growing. Now, listen, I understand this is a heavy topic. 
I get it. This is kind of heavy for all of us, but it'd be easy to kind of fluff it up and try to, you know, not make it seem that big of a deal. But the reality is we're all going to hit trials. We're all going to face them. You're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or you're going to go into a trial. So we need to know how to stand firm in the midst of our trials. We need to hold on to these truths. But the the encouraging thing, because if we just left it there, it kind of seems like, oh, man, that's heavy. But James has some encouragement for us. If you look down in verse 12 of chapter 1, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. In every trial, there's growth. In every trial, there's grace. And guess what? At the end, there's glory. See, the reason why we could count it pure joy, even when we're in the thick of our trials, because James says we know that the testing produces steadfastness. It produces staying power. So the trial has to finish its work. So we could be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's growth. And while we're growing, there's grace. And even Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Meaning this, that his grace will get you through all the trials. Paul pleaded multiple times, Lord, would you take this thorn from my side? And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. So after we've grown and we've received grace, there's glory. See, these growing pains that we face in the trials, these trials we go, we go through, they're going to be nothing compared to the glory that's coming. Because the God who's crazy about you, the God that loves you, the God who cares about you, someday will dry every tear from every eye, heal every hurt. But in the meantime, whatever you're going through, know that trials are inevitable. This isn't something that the enemy is doing to you. There's a purpose. God is allowing it for your growth, for your good, and for his glory. And the pain is really just proof of God's presence. He's perfecting us in these trials. He's working. He's with you. And he'll get you through. But until then, there's grace. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.